Welcome to Face Your Faith with West Kenyon. It is our hope that today's study will encourage you to grow deeply in your relationship with God as we study the Word together. Now let's join West for today's study. Today is part one of our topic on the hard heart and what it looks like to have a hard heart and does God really harden hearts or is that all our doing? And probably the most notable example in God's word of a hardened heart comes from Exodus when we hear that it was God that hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, it must be understood that there is so much that takes place in this account of the Israelites, Moses, Pharaoh in Egypt, and it is impossible to fully go over each of the details in one message. So I'm going to highlight the significant aspects of Exodus and the warnings, which will hopefully get you that much more curious to dig in even deeper in God's word in a short two-part series. So let's start by introducing and answering the first and most significant question, does God harden hearts? And I believe based on several passages from God's word, God is not the one to harden anyone's heart, but he is the one to ultimately finalize the desire, to seal the deal, if you will, of the one who has on their own authority, own will, own desire, own choosing, determined to remain in a place that is against God's authority and will. Let's look then at two significant passages that give us great insight into this. First, Romans 1, 28 through 32. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a depraved mind to do those things that ought not to be done, that are not proper. People having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, and evil full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unfeeling, and unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. I now want to read this passage from Eugene Peterson's The Message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible, and I think for the most part an excellent one at that. Again, this is a paraphrase and should not be used in place of a dedicated Bible, such as the NIV or ESV, for example. Romans 1, 28 through 32 from The Message. Since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. And then all hell broke loose, rampant evil, grabbing and grasping, Vicious backstabbing, they made life hell on earth with their envy, wanton killing, bickering, and cheating. Look at them, mean-spirited, venomous, fork-tongued god-bashers, bullies, swaggerers, insufferable windbags. They keep inventing new ways of wrecking lives. They ditch their parents when they don't get their way. Stupid, slimy, cruel, cold-blooded. And it's not as if they don't know better. They know perfectly well they're spitting in God's face and they don't care. Worse, they hand out prizes to those who do the worst things best. In Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, we get a really good earthy 21st century sense of the English language that really hits home, and we see that especially in the first sentence. Quote, since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. Notice in both the NIV and the message, God had no part in turning them away from him. These people right from the get-go had no interest in God, no desire to acknowledge him in any way. So God essentially said to them, okay, 
I will give you exactly what you desire, the absence of me. I will turn you over to do exactly what you want to do in all of the sick, warped, perverted ways you want to live your lives. But before we go too much further on this, let's look at our second passage. And our second passage comes from Jeremiah 17.10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind to give each person according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Again, I want to read this from the message as well. And the message says, The heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. But I, God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. I think this again gives us a great insight into exactly how God operates, how he makes his determination on each of our attitudes and hearts, desires. And in no way do we see that God is the heart hardener. Rather, it is all our doing and giving God full opportunity to give you the desire of your heart. It is rather interesting to think that when we use the term, quote, our heart's desire, it typically always refers to something wonderful and cherished. However, we must not forget that we have many a heart's desire that are purely evil. And this is the exact case that we see here in these two passages that indicate fully that the desires of those described in Romans and Jeremiah were completely absent from anything to do with God and his will. And this is exactly where the Pharaoh was in Exodus. The king hardened his own heart and had no intention of acknowledging God under any circumstance, as we will find out. The Pharaoh basically smacked God in the face with his disobedience and never intended to have a heart tuned to wisdom and obedience. So God sealed the deal for him and gave him exactly what he wanted, and this time it was just permanent. How loving is that of God? I think that is one of the most loving things that anyone could ever do for you, and I don't mean that in a sarcastic way at all. God gave this king the true desire of his heart. All of the individuals we have just read about so far had one thing in common. They did not want anything to do with God. And God, after making many attempts to warn them of that choice and putting things in their way to wake them up, rattling them so that they might see God truly is trying to get their attention, they still absolutely and positively denied. And so God said, as I just mentioned, okay, I will now remove myself from you once and for all goodbye. I can't fathom God saying goodbye to me. I can't comprehend that thought of never acknowledging God, talking to God ever again. Just the thought of that is terrifying. And it appears from scripture that if you are in that frame of mind, that being completely disconnected once and for all from God is disturbing, that is certainly a good indication that your heart is not hard. If you're doing battle and struggling and desiring a relationship with God and it seems like war, you are correct. It is war a cosmic war between you, God, and Satan. But that war is a great place to be because that means you are not hardening your own heart against God. Don't, however, linger too long in that battlefield because whether or not you flat out ask God to go away, the end result will be the same if you do not fully accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, just as God has told us. So with that introduction, we are going to look at a few passages from Exodus and see how this all fits together with this Pharaoh, Moses, and the Israelites. And we get our first big clue of who the king was in Exodus 1, 8 through 14. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. 
Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Before we go further on unpacking this, we need to look at something I find useful and interesting to help us out a bit with understanding how all this came about. Verse 8 says, when a new king... Then in verse 11, it states, this king was Pharaoh. Now, contrary to popular belief, this king's name was not Pharaoh. Rather, this king was a Pharaoh. And I believe this is significant because if we examine the other Pharaohs, the other kings that ruled in Egypt prior, we see this was a thing they pretty much all had in common. They were ruthless, loved torturing people, and loved slave labor. Indicating one thing, that they saw themselves above everyone else as gods, the supreme being and highest power of the earth. And that indeed was how the Egyptians were required to see pharaohs and honor them as their god. They indeed had no need or interest in the god of the universe, since indeed they were already god, lowercase g, in their own minds. And God gave them exactly what they desired most, and that of being their own god, and turned them over to that. And the outcome was not very good. As we know from historical accounts, the last pharaoh to rule was in the 300s BC. Now gone, wiped out. Just like the Romans, God turned them over to what they really wanted, and they too are no more. As we go through history, secular history at that, we see again and again that societies and people that God turns over, those who rule their own world, their own lives, disappear and vanish into nothing more than history books. And yet, with all of the warnings and historical accounts of both biblical and secular tragedies, we today, as a global society, are still doing exactly what the Romans and the Pharaohs did. And God is still sending warning after warning to everyone right now before he will ultimately give you the desires of your hard heart, his permanence of that, absence from your life. So what were those warnings to this king in Exodus? And remember, we don't know the name of this king, this Pharaoh. And again, that is quite impactful, I think, because it is indicative in our account in Exodus and that of it not being the particular Pharaoh that we are to focus on, but the evil reign of society a generational problem, a generational abandonment of God. It shows that sin is prevalent and is passed down from generation to generation. I believe it shows the overall picture of who we are today and where we are going, just as God promised in Luke. It says, when the days become like that of Noah, I will give my haters exactly what they want. They can do it all on their own, and I, God, already know they are going to drive themselves into the ground and be no more. Now let's look briefly at the warnings God sent to this king, which were in the form of plagues to get his attention. We will also see in these plagues how this Pharaoh reacted and the true condition of his heart before and after each plague. So plague and warning number one, the plague of blood. Exodus 7, 14 through 21. Again, for the sake of time, I will only give a very brief overview from the passage of each plague. I do encourage you, however, to read the passages fully at the end of this message. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let my people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me. But until now you have not listened. 
This is what the Lord says, By this you will know that I am the Lord. With a staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh, and his officials struck the water of the Nile, and all the water in all of Egypt was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. In all of this, Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not take even this to heart. Next warning, the plague of frogs, Exodus 8, 1 through 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come into your palace and your bedroom and into your bed, into the houses of your officials and on your people and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will come up on you and your people and all your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds and make frogs come out in the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land, but the magicians did the same things by their secret arts. They also made the frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave you to the honor of setting the time for me to pray. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Plague number three, the plague of gnats, Exodus 8, 16 through 19. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on the people and animals everywhere, the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. Plague number four. The plague of flies, Exodus 8, 20, 31. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people and into your houses. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God here in the land. But Moses said, that would not be right. The sacrifices we offer to Lord our God would be detestable to the Egyptians. We must take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Pharaoh said, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Now pray for me. Moses answered, as soon as I leave you, 
I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only let Pharaoh be sure that he does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left, but Pharaoh hardened his heart again. Plague number five, the plague on livestock, Exodus 9, 1 through 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back, the land of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field, on your houses, donkeys and camels, and on your cattle, sheep and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. The Lord set a time and said, tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land. And the next day the Lord did it. All of the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. Pharaoh investigated and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. Yet his heart was unyielding and he would not let the people go. Plague number six, the plague of boils, Exodus 9, 8 through 12. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from a furnace and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt and festering boils will break out on people and animals throughout the land. So they took soot from a furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it into the air and festering boils broke out on the people and the animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said to Moses. Plague number seven, the plague of hail, Exodus 9, 13 through 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so that you may know there is no one like me on all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded till now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field and they will die. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that hail will fall over Egypt on people and animals and on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning flashed down to the ground. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. Moses replied, when I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop and there will be no more hail. So you may know that the earth is the Lord's, but I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out of the city. He spread out his hands toward the Lord. The thunder and the hail stopped and the rain no longer poured down on the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not let the Israelites go just as the Lord had said through Moses.
And this is a good place to pause and think hard on what we have seen so far with regard to Pharaoh's reactions to everything up to this point. Pharaoh and all of Egypt so far have been bombarded with some pretty horrific things and still Pharaoh has not given up. Have you been there? Are you there right now? Next week, part two, when we will cover the remaining three warning plagues of locusts, darkness, and death, and find out if Pharaoh will relent. If you like what you're hearing on Face Your Faith, please pass it along to family and friends. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and your favorite podcast channel and on the web at www.faceyourfaith.com.